We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners only 10% discount to Rotoviz by using the code RVRADIO2022. That's RVRADIO2022. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here's the latest edition of the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown. Welcome in, welcome in for a special bonus edition of the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown here on the FFPC YouTube channel. Thank you so much for tuning in, um, whether you're streaming this, downloading it, viewing it, or just listening to it. We certainly appreciate um, the interaction that we'll get tonight. We are live on FFPC's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook channels right now. A special double edition, not only of the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown this week, but coming up. At 10, 9 central tonight, we're going to interview the week two third place um, lead, uh, third place team owner in the FFPC main event, Greg Link, myself and Farrell Elliott. By the way, I'm Eric Balkman from the FFPC. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and follow the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. A reminder, if you are an FFPC player or maybe you have not joined yet, play the FFPC weekly challenge. This is something we haven't done on our own before ever uh, in our existence, which goes back about 13, uh, beg your pardon, about 15 years now. Um, there's no draft or salary cap in the weekly challenge. Pick t- 10 players if you're playing the slim format without kickers or defenses. Pick 12 players if you're playing with kickers and defenses. By Sunday's kickoff at 1 p.m., not including the Vikings and Saints, uh, which kick off at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time this week. Get those lineups in early uh, this week, uh, everybody. And then um, if you're playing in the weekly challenge, just watch your team ride. Throughout the weekend's games, only one player can be picked per NFL team. $35 to enter or $200 to enter. 30-team contest, 150-team contest with the classic or slim formats. And new this week, a $200 entry in a 10-team league will uh, get you into the winner-take-all format. In other words, 
you beat out nine other players, you will get a free 2023 FFPC main event entry valued at $2,000, and you can take your shot at a $1 million grand prize this coming year. Uh, this week on the show, want to welcome in the eighth place team co-owner in the 2022 FFPC main event as he chases um, along with his co-owner, Sean Isaacs, as he chases a $1 million grand prize. We're bringing him in right now. We're going to talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Is he overperforming? Is Alvin Kamara going to be a bust? Why he was in on Garrett Wilson and Gerald Everett in his leagues this year and much more. It is the incomparable. You follow him on Twitter at the underscore Cal underscore Alcorn. Caleb Alcorn, welcome into the show, man. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely happy to connect on a Friday evening. Well, listen, it's it's always rare. You know, normally we have the HSFF hour, which is coming up at 10, 9 central tonight. It's always a challenge booking that because people got plans on a Friday night. I'm thrilled that you carved out, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, whatever we go tonight in your schedule to talk a little fantasy football. Uh, obviously, I know lineup submitting and, and waivers uh, that are going to process Sunday morning obviously takes precedent uh, a lot of times. But I'm thrilled that you could join us uh, tonight and we're going to talk. We're going to we're going to chop it up quite a bit. Um, the um, first thing I want to ask you is a position I have not been in before. I asked Frank LaPrade on, on the road of his high stakes load on last night about this because he's leading the football guys players championship um, heading into week four. You guys are in eighth place in the main event for a million bucks. Um, I don't care what time of year it is. Eighth place is eighth place. So congratulations on being there. How did you and Sean feel about this draft, about this team after you drafted it, Caleb? So it's funny. I mean, we did quite a few drafts out in Vegas. So this was a live team that we did. I think it was maybe Friday afternoon after the first Thursday game with kind of Buffalo. So when we kind of wrapped it up, before we go into every draft, we kind of chat through maybe our first, you know, five or six picks, what would be ideal, what we think would be kind of the optimal draft. And to be frank, it kind of fell exactly how we were expecting. So what pick did you have in this draft? Just curiously. We had, I think, seven and Diggs okay. fell to us at seven, which for us was a little bit of a surprise after that Thursday night game where he just looked so dynamic, so explosive. And then for Mark Andrews to kind of fall to us in our second pick there was a little bit of a surprise too, is, I mean, we had seen him go anywhere in the first round or, I mean, rarely kind of making it back to that seven. So just at that start, we were super happy. We kind of went into the draft season, really trying to kind of pair, you know, high end pass catchers with, you know, kind of running quarterbacks. So Diggs, Mark Andrews, AJ Brown were to some extent, kind of the three main targets that we had really kind of going into the drafts for, you know, our first three rounds. And this draft kind of fell that way where we got Diggs and then Andrews, I think, unfortunately, Allen went early second round, but it kind of gave us the option to be a little bit more flexible and walk away with um, Lamar, which, I mean, I think is a good consolation prize. Nice little time. consolation. Exactly right now. Now, do you have, um, I can't remember, because I, I looked at this earlier this week. Do you have Amon Ross St. Brown on this team? I think you do, right? Oh, yeah, we do have St. Brown. We also have T. Higgins. So, Oh. We don't always go wide receiver heavy to start drafts. I mean, we try to be pretty flexible. We generally probably go more anchor running back. But in this case, just about every pass catcher we wanted was there. Every running back we wanted was gone. So it just kind of fell that way. It can get a little bit uncomfortable to, you know, run wide receivers and pass catchers, you know, for your first six or seven picks. But sometimes you just have to be flexible, especially in those live drafts out in Vegas. How Cal, how deep is this team right now? Are, are you covered with the St. Brown news that he is going to miss this week? Are you covered with um, with a flex play instead of him? 
Yeah, so we're relatively covered. I think we have Judy that we can kind of oh, okay. type in. Um, also, we have kind of three late-ish running backs that, I mean, are maybe kind of overperforming expectations to some extent. So probably between Judy and one of those three, hopefully we'll be okay. I mean, it's hard to replace what St. Brown does, but Sean and I were kind of chatting when we got the news, and we would almost rather have him sit out than come out and be 80%. Oh, yeah. I, you know, and, two or three weeks. I, and, and I think that's true of, like, when you know a dude's beat up like this, um, especially when he's a stud, you know, McCaffrey owners are facing. Uh, do you own Christian McCaffrey anywhere, Cal? Yeah, we have a McCaffrey team as well, too. Okay. So. so what are you doing there? Because that is a late game on Sunday. Um, I own him in, I think, two spots. And I'm kind of shifting away from him because I'm very nervous about, you know, number one, is the dude even going to be active? And, and number two, if he is active, how much action is he going to get? I mean, what are you guys doing with McCaffrey this week? It's scary. I think one of our McCaffrey teams is pretty thin from a running back perspective. So we'll kind of probably just have to monitor news, kind of go from there. We kind of have a pretty long process from a start sit standpoint. We really kind of start the week and just look at utilization data, kind of high level flag what we think our start and sits are. And then, I mean, clearly throughout the week, stuff progresses as this McCaffrey news was kind of new. So we'll add that stuff in as we kind of go into the weekend and really to some extent figure it out. It's hard to sit someone that's going to be active. So unless it's very clear that he's going to be not playing on Sunday, I don't know if we can necessarily justify sitting him. But in these kind of formats, it's tough where you can't just leave points on the board as, you know, 10 points come week four or week 12 can make a huge difference between making the playoffs or, you know, getting that ticket into the main event. I think that's important to, to realize, too, because um, I'm with you when I have these studs like this. I don't want him these guys going out playing at 60%, 70%, only playing half the snaps or you know, a quarter of the snaps or whatever it is. I want them either out or going full steam. And I think that's important to realize that, yes, it stinks that Amon Ross St. Brown is not playing this week, but at the same time, you don't have to sweat over, do I play him or do I not? Is he going to be out there just in red zone or is he going to be out there? For, you, know, you never know. Now you do know and you can deploy a guy who's going to be playing the full time out there. Um, a guy who has been playing you know, somewhat full-time, but you can make the case he's not doing enough with it, has been Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Now, I don't know how many spots you own that dude at, but it seemed like in drafting season, I was always, you know, I always play in KFFSC. I play a ton of leagues there, KFFSC.com. Farrell Elliott, my HSFFO or co-host, is the commissioner of that. You have to start three receivers in that league. Um, in that format, I tend to load up on receivers early, usually get three in the first four rounds or three in the first five rounds. And then as a result, I'm kind of filling the clack, uh, the cracks with my second running back. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been one of those fill-ins um, for me. Elijah Mitchell was another one this year. So I have a ton of exposure to both those players. And while I've been happy with the output of Clyde Edwards-Alaire this year uh, so far, Cal, it, it's it's been kind of like I look at the film like, God, is is this is this smoke and mirrors what he's doing right now in Kansas City? Because it seemed I think he had zero rushing yards last week, but his touchdown and his his um his catches saved him, obviously. But when you look at Clyde Edwards Alaire, is this a guy that's overperforming that you might have to look at start uh, starting to bench him in future weeks if the regression of the mean catches up to him? No, that is definitely a really good point. I mean, I would say he's by far outperforming kind of what his usage and utilization data is, is looking at that. It's very, very scary. I mean, one thing that Sean and I really try to do is kind of balance, you know, just kind of raw output with 
what's actually going on from kind of a data usage perspective. And yeah, I mean, he's, I think right now running roughly about kind of 40% of the snaps, seeing about 12% of the targets, which I mean, is extremely scary and kind of a two to two and a half headed backfield. So I think at some point, hopefully not because he's on our eighth place team. I think the edge might fall off a little bit and he'll probably kind of fall back into the norm. I'm hoping that even if he falls off, I mean, right now he's RB3, even with the fall off, maybe if you can still get kind of RB2, you know, top 24 numbers, I think you can still kind of maintain and be relatively content with that given he was going in the, or at least we got him in the seventh round in our best team. So I think you have to kind of maintain and monitor expectations, but we're going to kind of ride the wave until the wave stops to some extent is in this case, we don't really have a choice as for us, it's Clyde Edwards, Gibson, Sanders, which to some extent all kind of fall very much in the same kind of bucket of, you know, two headed backfields, three headed backfields, questionable utilization data that are maybe outperforming what they should be at this point, but. We'll take it. Yeah, absolutely, you will. And and I think another thing that I should bring up here too that that happened probably within the last hour or so. Uh, Marquise Brown in uh, Arizona is now questionable this week, officially listed as questionable on the Friday report with a foot injury. And this is a dude who's been targeted a ton over the last couple of weeks. This is another four oh five game, a late game that we have to deal with here. I don't know what your exposure is to Marquise Brown, but knowing that. If Marquise Brown is active or not, it not only affects him, it affects Kyler Murray, it affects Greg Dortch, it affects um, Rondell Moore perhaps uh, as well this week. When you look at the Cardinals receiving situation, knowing that Marquise Brown is surprisingly questionable this week, how are you treating it in a late game against Carolina on the road? So that's a really good question. I think maybe fortunately, unfortunately, we're not too heavy in Marquise Brown. To some extent, kind of Kyler was a guy that – we liked, but we weren't necessarily in love with. I mean, we definitely preferred Lamar. We preferred Hertz. We're kind of our two main targets. And then if we didn't get kind of one of the top four guys, you know, Mahomes, Allen being the other two, we just kind of punted and deferred at QB, which is kind of hurting us from a scoring perspective now. But so we don't have too much Brown ownership as we do really kind of try to stack or have correlation from a QB to pass catcher standpoint. So for us, we actually have maybe a decent amount of Dorches. It's been relatively light waiver wire perspective and Dorch has been someone that we've dropped minimal budget on that we ended up just kind of I guess cleaning up on as people were focused in other areas so it could potentially help us as we're kind of running into a lot of St. Brown being out issues we also have Hunter Renfro who is on a handful of teams who I think just got ruled out as well going into the weekend so it seems like there's going to be a lot of disruption going into the weekend from an injury perspective so for us we generally play people if they're active but it gets definitely questionable and dicey, especially with these kind of late round or late week injury things that pop up is you can't really expect those to some extent. Right. And, and I totally get that. Uh, I want to get back to something you, you just mentioned when you talked about the quarterbacks. I mean, obviously after Alan Mahomes, but you said you prefer Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts over Kyler Murray this year. Can you kind of expound on that? Like what, what made those two guys uh, at least one tier above Kyler Murray this year? when FFPC and football guys drafters placed them on basically the same tier the majority of drafting season. Yeah, so I think kind of going into early drafting season, I mean, kind of post-draft, we were somewhat high on Kyler, but as we kind of started going through the season, a little bit of kind of weak news on him just being engaged. And to be frank, neither of us, neither Sean or I really like Cliff Kingsbury. It always seems like he just makes 
By the way, that seems to be a popular opinion, yeah. Cal. So Not a lot of people are liking Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. And for us, I mean, with Hopkins being out, you know, Marquise Brown, you know, kind of being a little bit of a questionable asset in Baltimore, kind of going to a new team in Arizona. For us, it was just kind of hard to, to some extent, buy in the hype, especially in the fourth and fifth round for Marquise. So for us, you know, it was kind of a lot to pay for both Kyler and Marquise Brown to kind of stack together. And I mean, for us, when we're kind of drafting those high-end quarterbacks, we really want the correlation to some extent from a pass-catching standpoint. And if we can't get it, we'll kind of just fade the position to some extent and, you know, kind of pick up the scraps, as some might say. Let's get back to the running backs here. And, and I, I, not that I want to keep talking about Clyde Edwards Alaire, but you have him on your eighth place FFPC main event team. Have you and Sean had any conversations about perhaps ascending Miles Sanders to that spot, benching Edwards Alaire? Miles Sanders gets the Jacksonville Jaguars at home in Philly this week. So, yeah, we definitely have him in kind of our start and sit discussions. The Onmon St. Brown being out kind of changes our discussion a little bit as we were thinking we were just going to kind of need to pick one between Clyde Edwards, Miles, and Gibson. That conversation kind of changes a little bit where we potentially might end up just having to kind of play three running backs or mm. play two of them plus Judy. So for us, I think we were kind of going into the week thinking Miles is kind of our lead one. I mean, he definitely has the most from a utilization perspective. I mean, he's seen about 54% of the snaps, about 51% of the um, you know routes and targets, which for us is kind of enough to stay viable. I mean, clearly there's a lot of weapons in Philly where they can just spread the ball out. You know, they tend to be a little bit more pass heavy, but at least they're kind of in good spots and they're in the red zone a lot. So for us, we can you know maybe look into a touchdown. And then for us, you know, Clyde Edwards and Gibson are really just in the same bucket to some extent, very much kind of coin flips, similar utilization. You know, they kind of have that person behind them that's really eating into that workflow. So for us, they're very scary, but, you know, the upside in all three of them, I think, kind of outweighs the low floor that they can have at times. Um, let, let's talk about um, another running back. And, and by the way, um, unless I really load up on running backs, I, I'm sort of with you guys and trying to target these mid-round running backs that – can he one, do one of two things. Number one, do the thing that J.D. McKissick does so well, and that's provide a uh, low ceiling, high floor every week. So if I get into dire straits, I can play a guy like that and knowing I'm probably going to get right around double digits for him. Um, and then there's these other guys, especially Naheem Hines, who offers, I thought, a high floor um, and potentially a high ceiling on certain weeks. However, I, I, I can't really explain what's going on with the Colts this year. Uh, they, they stink against the Texans and Jaguars, and then they go ahead and beat the Kansas City Chiefs in week three. Who knows uh, what's going on there? But Naheem Hines is interesting guy. Um, best ball, great. You're going to play him when he excels. But in the FFPC main event where you have him on your eighth place team, you have to make the decision on whether or not this guy is going to start for you every week. Um, knowing what he's capable of and knowing what he's done, how are fantasy owners like yourselves going to know when is the right week to start Naheem Hines when apparently he's been so volatile so far yeah I think Naheem Hines is a hard one I mean I think for us it's tough because he's our fourth running back on that eighth place team so we are very thin so we were hoping he would have to some extent kind of day one usable value I think after you know four weeks and or I guess three weeks and him not seeing above a 30 percent kind of snap share I would say at this point he's unusable unless something dramatic happens to JT or he gets hurt, which I think all of us hope that doesn't happen. And that's not the case. So I think, you know, at this point in time before bye weeks and all that stuff hit, he's probably just an afterthought. And I mean, unless you're 
very, very thin or you're dealing with, you know, injury issues, he's not even in our kind of start sit discussions. And we Mm -hmm. are relatively thin in running back on, you know, some of our better teams, you know, just due to, you know, putting a little bit more priority on the pass catcher. So, you know, I think for us, you just kind of have to deal with it. You have to eat him. We're not dropping him. He's not in that consideration, but he's kind of just to hold on and, you know, see if things change as, you know, maybe the tide turns as Indy hasn't looked too great to start. So maybe they start leveraging him a little bit more to see if they can get some, you know, explosiveness out of him. But for us, he's kind of just a, you know, bite the bullet, let him sit on the bench. Maybe when bye weeks hit, you know, he gets put into that flex spot if needed. But I think that's worst case scenario to some extent for him. So he's a tough one. Hard to hard to bite that one, but you can, I guess, hit every late round running back either. No, right? you can't. You can't. <laughs> it's, it's that that's why they're late round running backs, because they rarely hit. And if you get lucky, you get lucky. Um, speaking of getting lucky, and I full disclosure, I have not looked at the FFPC waivers from from Wednesday night, but I do know that Jonathan Taylor missed practice on Wednesday with a toe injury. Waivers obviously get processed on Wednesday night. And I don't know what the what the grab was on Deion Jackson, who apparently is the third string running back to Taylor and Naheem Hines in Indianapolis. This is a guy who has been waived by uh, Indianapolis last year and then uh, obviously signed uh, as well. Um, I, I don't think there's much there. So if Taylor, and it sounds like he's going to go this week, but if Taylor were to miss any time, is Naheem Hines an automatic start for you, given that he is still your fourth running back on your team, but knowing the potential workload that uh, Hines could cover if Taylor does miss? No, I think without a doubt. I mean, I think Indy's been very, very clear that, you know, there are two running back backfield at this point with it being, you know, Taylor and Hines. So to me, I'd be very surprised if, if Taylor went down or, you know, for some reason that foot issue sparks up that it would be really anybody but Hines. Clearly might have someone come in and spell him, but it seems, you know, like historically Hines has been the guy. There's not that big of a change from a team perspective. So I think you can, to some extent, kind of lock it in. I mean, if you went kind of RB heavy and you don't necessarily need him where you have, you know, a Barkley and a Chubb, you know, it's probably a different conversation, but at least most of the teams that kind of Sean and I currently have where even if we are stout RB, we're sitting there with CMC or Javante Williams and it's you know we're not hating it but we're also not loving it I mean we might have to make a tough decision with like a Javante and a Hines if you know Hines ends up you know becoming the number one for some reason something weird happens to JT it's so weird to think about Hines as a handcuff but I mean if you look at it and and even go under the surface a little bit that's what it appears is happening in Indianapolis that if Taylor were to go down Hines is going to be a great play for a lot of teams but I know, I think it was maybe two years ago in November. It's weird how we remember these things, but we had to push Hines in as a flex backup for a late injury. And I think Hines went for, you know, two touchdowns and oh. 10 catches. And I can't remember. Is, is that not the best feeling in the world when you force a guy into your, into your lineup and then he goes off? Yeah, for Sean and I, it always gets interesting because it seems like one person's always super heavy and we just kind of have to defer to each other at times. So I think Sean was a Heinz stand in that one. And I wanted him on the bench. So Sean was just victory lapping me, which I'll take the victory laps when, you know, it puts points to the end result, but it's always tough when you're not on the right side. <laughs> um, okay. So, so let's move on and, and talk a little bit about uh, Garrett Wilson, because this was a player that um, I know I was a little bit down on um, at the start of the season uh, because I felt like he was down on the um, the packing order in, in the in the Jets offense, and I didn't have full confidence in Zach Wilson. Got him in a few spots, but you know, uh, full disclosure, I think I got him in those spots 
pre-NFL draft where I didn't know where he was going to end up, right? So he ends up in New York. Uh, obviously, they already have Elijah Moore. They already have Corey Davis. They, they invested the draft capital in Brees Hall. Tyler Conklin's looked really good this year. Um, but you guys ended up taking him in the main event, and he looks like a steal right now. Now that we have Broadway Joe Flacco on the bench, who, and I can't remember who it was, said, I think it was Corey Davis said, yeah, he's putting the balls in, in the right spot for us to um, to make it happen. Um, uh, now they have Zach Wilson back. Are you nervous about Garrett Wilson going forward, at least for week four, until we see how Zach Wilson sort of treats these receivers? So I've honestly been a little bit timid, probably very similar to you of Garrett Wilson. Mm -hmm. I would give Sean kind of a huge kudos to being a little bit ahead of the curve on Garrett Wilson. He was very right on a lot of the rookie wide receivers this year. I was pretty heavy on Pickens and some of the guys that haven't necessarily kind of manifested quite yet. So I'm going to give Sean kind of all of the backing to kind of why we have Wilson. He was someone that I just didn't have too much interest in, don't have that much upside in the Jets. And sometimes we kind of try to stay away from some of the what I would consider bad offenses, which, I mean, I think at least going into the season, the Jets fell in that category, given their high up-tempo offense, how much they're passing. I think that's definitely changed pretty dramatically. So I would kind of consider the Jets to be maybe more kind of middle of the pack, mm -hmm. um, you know, from an offensive perspective. I'm very concerned with kind of Flacco leaving is it seemed like he's been doing the right things. He's some of his advanced metrics are kind of really in line with what you want to see from kind of an average quarterback, or at least, you know, what a quarterback needs to do to kind of prop up multiple wide receivers. So I think with Wilson coming back, the biggest concern is, you know, you might see kind of that target distribution tighten it a little bit and you just hope that Wilson's the one that's leading the charge instead of you know some of the people that he was thrown to historically last year so that's probably the biggest concern but I mean Wilson was able to support a relatively decent high up tempo offense maybe not efficiently and pretty but I at least have some hope and I think until he proves this otherwise you kind of have to just put Wilson in your lineup assuming you know you don't have a whole lot of studs and wait and see and if something dramatically changes as he kind of continues over the next couple of weeks you just adapt and adjust as we do with anyone else uh cal listen you and sean were on the high stakes fantasy football hour about three years ago roughly a little bit less than three years ago and i honestly can't remember if i asked you this question but when you and sean co-own all these teams as as you have and and, and have done it to to big time success what are the biggest obstacles to having a co-owner in, in trying to figure out how do we maximize both of our brain powers without, you know, hurting our teams in the process? What's been the biggest thing that you and Sean have banged heads heads with uh, over the course of your partnership in high stakes fantasy football? No, that's really a good question. I mean, I think kind of what it comes down to is a lot of the start and sits. That's where it gets tough is, you know, you're really more so just kind of proactively predicting things and there's not necessarily a right or wrong kind of going into the week to some extent. So I would say we don't have really much tension, but, you know, when we have issues to some extent, it's very, very much so about kind of start and sit decisions is Sean and I, while we look at a lot of the same data, the same information, we have our own channels of information, our own workflow and our own process. So we really kind of just support each other. We know, you know, each other's strengths and we kind of just defer. We know at the end of the day, no one's going to 
intentionally try to make a bad decision. And, you know, if a decision is made and it's not correct, we have a process in place that, you know, really allows for us to be confident in what we do from a day-to-day perspective, from a lineup perspective, from a drafting perspective, that as long as we follow the process, you know, we're going to be wrong in certain scenarios, but we just have to trust each other. And I think that's what we do really well is we have, you know, complete and utter trust in each other's process. We have, you know, the desire to win and, you know, get the helmet and bring it home as much as anyone else. So I think that's ultimately what's important, but at the end of the day, we've kind of been doing this together for six or seven years. It's, you know, was a little bit more challenging year one and year two where we had to kind of figure it out. But, you know, over time we've you know really kind of hit our stride and I would say really get into the flow of things as we kind of do this for almost 10 years now. All glowing positive reviews on your relationship from fantasy football with Sean. Totally, totally respect that. However, I'm not behind the scenes. I don't know what's going on with you guys. You could be telling the truth. You might be throwing me a fib. There's only one person that can really tell me if this relationship is working out the Let's way that you say it is. Hopefully this and isn't my wife. I want to bring, no, 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 no. I want to bring in the other half of Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs, the partnership that has done so well in high stakes fantasy football. I'm bringing him in right now, ladies and gentlemen. It is indeed Sean Isaacs who is joining us right now. Sean, welcome in, man. I feel like I'm on Jerry Springer right now. That was great timing. <laughs> There's, I can't promise any fights. There could be fights. There could be chairs thrown. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Yeah, um, if I were in the waiting room, I would have put a chair over your head. But I guess. <laughs> so, so Sean, Cal just had a very glowing review on your high stakes fantasy football partnership for the better part of a decade, or a little bit over a decade. And and you guys really respect each other. Understand that everybody has the big picture in mind. You both want to be successful. Is that sort of, I mean, I know that's the approach that you've had. What's been the biggest obstacle to try to achieve synergy and achieve maximum output for your fantasy teams? Uh, Caleb said it really well. Um, We work really well together and it's taken a long time. And I think every week those, those challenges and obstacles hit us because anyone who does high stakes fantasy or DFS or whatever it is, you know, if you put the work in, you know who you want and you know why you want them. And so when, when maybe I want someone to start and Caleb wants another person to start, you know, you really have to trust in each other and understand that sometimes Caleb's going to give me the green light and sometimes I'm going to give him the green light. And, you know, if he's wrong or I'm wrong, like it's okay. No one's ever going to be right all of the time. And you just got to understand that, you know, and, if he gives me the green light a couple weeks in a row and I keep hitting, he'll let me roll and vice versa. And it's just really trusting our process and kind of trusting in one another. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The hot hand scenario not only works in the NFL, but it works in high stakes fantasy football as well. The hot hand in Cleveland, Sean, has been Nick Chubb. It's been Kareem Hunt. I've noticed on on several of your rosters, and and, and I I think you guys co-own all these teams. You have Dearness Johnson. On, on a lot of these teams, knowing that he is the number three running back. Uh, essentially, we think he's the number three running back headed Jerome Ford uh, in Cleveland. Um, why do you like having Dearness Johnson around? Are you waiting for a Chubb or Hunt injury? And then this guy could be valuable. What's the reason? Uh, because I know Dearness Johnson isn't rostered on, you know, 99% of FFPC teams. This is an interesting one for you guys. Yeah, this is, he's kind of more of a Caleb guy, but I, I get the, the understanding you know, it's a team that's always run heavy. Uh, maybe that'll change when Deshaun takes over the quarterback. But even though Kareem Hunt hasn't done a whole lot this year, they can any given week have two viable running backs. So you're not really counting on one certain guy to maybe get hurt. The odds boost when you're saying if either one of Chubb or Hunt go down, then Dearness gets plugged in and you've seen him be successful. Yeah. Uh kind of like the same situation going on in Detroit right now and uh saw that kind of on the waiver wire this week with spacing his name but Craig Reynolds Craig Reynolds it's yeah. the exact same thing yeah. yeah on probably a better run team for Cleveland and I'll, I'll give Caleb the credit that's his guy but I get the I get I get why Caleb is that is that why uh, I mean, he's a little bit my guy, but it's also too. I mean, we kind of chatted about this earlier. The waiver wire's just been dry and bare so far. He's probably, mm-hmm. you know, if someone pops up, if someone gets hurt, we're not going to have an issue cutting him. I was kind of just looking through, you know, some of the pickups and this league that we have him in. I mean, the highlights or the best pickups have been Curtis Samuel, you know, showing Shepard, RIP, sorry for the knee, Carson Wentz and Greg Dort. So for us, given kind of our rosters and our makeup, you know, his upside makes a little bit more sense if, you know, something were to happen to either Hunt or Chubb. I think he's locked into kind of an RB3 role. So we just kind of have to eat the upside. And if something happens and someone becomes available, he'll probably be cut number one at this point on our team. So probably just more so tied to the lack of options on the waiver wire through week three, which doesn't seem like the case every year. Yeah. And it's interesting because this is something I brought up with previous high stakes uh, fantasy football players and Sean, I'll pose it to you here. Um, I know I have been restrained on, on a lot of my bidding this year because I have not seen that guy or those guys this year. And, and as a result heading into week four, I have more blind bidding money than I, I normally uh, have at this point in the season. Is that what you and Caleb have, have also experienced where you, you expected to have fewer bidding bucks at this time of the year, but there really hasn't been as many difference makers in, in September as we have seen in years past. Yeah. I mean, Caleb kind of just hit on it. It's been pretty bare out there and 
this is also kind of a funny thing because we're different in ways. Like we're in, we're in some home leagues together as well. I, I, I'm a very good drafter, but with that comes a problem. I like to hold on to my players for too long. And so, yeah, unless there's people worth dropping some of the guys that we have, I would rather hold on to some of these younger running backs and hope they get that chance. Just write it out, especially if you go wide receiver heavy in a draft. You got these young running backs. Who knows? They may hit in week seven or eight, you know, and they may not. So if if there's really no good reason to spend a lot of fab on other players and drop them, I, I'm always going to kind of say, let's hold on to them. And yeah, we've, I- we've already had times this year where, there are guys we want. I say we, these are our two drops. Disagree and other two drops, and then we end up not dropping anyone, and that's fine. It's part of the yeah. process. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I don't like spending money just to spend to spend money. I brought this up with Frank Laprade, who was on the road of his high stakes lowdown last night, and I said it's important not to just have these empty roster spots. In other words, like maybe you miss out on. Um, uh, a, a bid uh, on a couple of players where you're dropping Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake should not be rostered in my opinion right now. So if you miss out on him on Wednesday, you got to put some bids in on Saturday. So then when that Sunday waiver bid comes, yeah, maybe uh, a guy like Craig Reynolds or, or a Tristan Erb, uh, Ebner or, you know, the guy in, in Chicago, uh, maybe he's not worthwhile. You, you can't have these empty roster spots. And, and on Sunday, you can often get guys for a buck or two that didn't go on Wednesday night. And I, I think that's important. So you're not overspending, but you're continuing the roster churn to make sure that you are loaded for bear when bear happens, right? Um, when the injuries happen on Sunday. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Otherwise I'm with you. I'm not blowing 10, 20. Yeah, no, being predictive is super important. And yeah, right. I think you alluded to it. Those Sunday bids, you can get so much value. So for us, you know, after kind of the, you know, Wednesday stuff hits, we kind of just look through and see if anyone got missed or if there's any kind of late injury news. I mean, McCaffrey was, I guess, this week before the Wednesday stuff, but I mean, that could be a good example where Chuba might be, you know, five or $6 bid and yeah. likely he's irrelevant. You're cutting bait next week, but at least you kind of potentially have that upside. And it, it's the swingers theorem. Get the guy behind the guy, right? Get the guy behind the guy, and and this oftentimes leads to rewards. Um, uh, something that has not been leading to rewards has been people like me, who has been investing in Alvin Kamara as a uh, early to uh, mid second round pick. Um, I don't I don't want to say he's a bust right now, Caleb, but it certainly seems like he might be on that path. I wouldn't say uh, you can need to bench him but things have got to be looking up for him soon, right? I mean, I, I feel like we've seen the floor from him, or could it get worse? Let's hope it doesn't get worse because I think <laughs> it getting worse would be him not playing or we would lose him to suspension, which I don't think is going to happen. So no. I'm cautiously optimistic to some extent that we're going to see an uptick. I, As much as I like Jameis, I think the Jameis experience isn't necessarily the best for him. So Dalton, I think, likely playing this week will – hopefully be a positive trend for him in the right direction. And then hopefully they can just kind of figure out Dennis Allen that they need him and he can start figuring out. I think if we're two or three weeks down the road and this is still the conversation and he's underperformed, I think at that point we might have to have start having the bus conversations, but we have him on our Jalen Hurts team that, you know, I think for us is maybe just as good as our um, other team that we have in yep. eighth, in eighth, in eighth place, place right now, but yep. it just hasn't quite manifested with Kittle and AK. So hopefully if those two can kind of turn it out, we'll 
be trending in the right direction. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, looking at his snap counts, he's, you know, running around 70% of the routes, you know, he's on the field. It's just not manifesting for whatever reason. So I think unless we start to see a change in his workload time on the field, I mean, there's no reason for us to assume otherwise, unless he's randomly dust, which I don't think is the case. I think you're right. I think that's the right way to handle him for sure. Now, a trickier conversation when we talk about a potential bust this year and a guy that I know through my conversations with FFPC players, they've already started considering benching this dude, and that's DJ Moore in Carolina. And I don't think it's necessarily his fault. Um, we went through on on uh, the High Stakes Fantasy Football Show on the Better Sports Network on Wednesday night. I was talking about uh, this with Thunder Dan Paglia from Rotoballer, and we talked about how DJ Moore has um, was was right up there maybe led the NFL in uncatchable targets last year. And he's right up there again this year, along with his teammate, Robbie Anderson, obviously Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield had a lot to do with this, but maybe we have seen his floor. It can only get better from here. I hope Sean, have you and Cal had any um, conversations? And I don't know how many chairs of DJ Moore you have. Have you had any conversations like, look, until this guy gets right, we kind of got to look elsewhere with, with, with him right now. Um, I mean, kind of last night when we were looking at lineups with, you know, players who played last night was the first time DJ Moore was in a conversation of a guy who, you know, may shift from wide receiver to flex for us. But I think we're still on the, like, DJ Moore. At any point in time, he can have a 10-catch, 160-yard, two-touchdown game. And if we miss that in week seven or eight, you know, because we got sick of him, that's fine. But I don't want to miss that in week, you know, three, four, or five because you, you get a little too cute a little too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows who he is. He's still young. He's a stud. The team is underperforming in a hole. So, I, yeah, I mean, kind of like AK, we don't love the situation, but not full panic mode yet. Maybe soon, but not yet. Sean, the other thing I'll bring up here too, and and this is, it's interesting because I have a buddy who is playing FFPC for the first time this year and his team's good. Um, It it would make the playoffs if the season ended today in the FFPC main event. Um, However, they haven't found a spot for Gerald Everett in their lineup yet. And and I always think tight end premium. This is a dude who's seen 20 targets in the first three weeks. He's turned those into 11 catches. He's already been in the end zone. Gerald Everett's looking good uh, at this point knowing that it's tight end premium. And I guess if you have a really dominant team, maybe you're not considering him. But I I start looking at Gerald Everett as sort of a must start right now in tight end premium leagues. How would you and Cal uh, respond to something like that? Oh, man. The tight end position past the top few guys is – it's tough. And some people have the – you know, however you rank tight ends, you might have 9 through 18 and – pick a guy and just play him every week and, and hope you hit the week that Njoku had. Cause we missed that week, you know, as did I, this guy did <laughs> yeah, too, like, big time. And so then you come back and you play Njoku and he gets two catches. So part of me is kind of thinks just pick a guy and keep playing him. Uh, Everett's he looks great. He's on a great team. Scares me a little with maybe Keenan coming back. Uh, Who's already out this week too, by the way. Is he okay? He's not going to play week four. No. With in FFPC in any of my home leagues, if I'm playing with Everett, I'm cool with it and I'm happy with it. It's it doesn't turn out. That's fine. But it's it's a he's a high end talent on a 
really good offense. He's going to produce, you know, some pretty big games throughout the year. So, yeah, tight end's tough. Like, if your tight end gets four or five points, like, it is what it is. And if you look throughout the league, you're not alone. So it's not like you're losing a lot of ground. But on the other hand, when we have, you know, our Andrews team and he's putting up a 30 spot, (laughs) it it, it makes you think like, man, I want to get these guys on a team every year, but it's hard. It changes your drafts and just not as easy as it sounds. Caleb, we're on to a philosophical tight end drafting discussion now. And and let me pose this to you because now my co-host on the HSFF hour, Farrell Elliott, he does not like talking about targets. He thinks, you know, you don't get points or targets. Why are we talking about them? But I will say this, and Sean just pointed this out. Unless you're talking about the top two tight ends, it's been kind of hit or miss. Is there a, is there a solid strategy behind? I'm going to look at the tight ends that are getting all the targets, and maybe the lesser owned, the lesser started guys are the guys I need to target, and just hopefully they they fall into the end zone or they get you know a a, 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 a phantom six for seventy game or something like that. Is that the way to handle tight ends if you did not get the elite of the elite at the position? Yeah, and it was tough to get the elite of the lead. I mean, we only have one Andrews team, and outside of that, I mean, we're dealing with the Everett's, the Purse. The, I mean, you kind of name it yeah. to some extent. So for us, I mean, yeah, we really look at kind of utilization data. It's to some extent if the tight ends on the field, seeing, you know, 70% of the routes run or 65% plus, we can handle, we can deal with it. So for us, we are very much kind of data-based and if a tight end's on the field, he might potentially have, you know, four or five catches in an FFPC. They might fall into the end zone and, you know, that's a top 12 right. performing day. And, you know, it's clearly hard to catch up with the Andrews teams, but, you know, weeks one through three, you know, some of these teams are, you know, dealing with what Pitts got and he was drafted in the first and second round. So for us, it's tough to play the guys like Conklin and I mean, Njoku week one and week two, but you just take the name off of it, look at what they're doing and look at the potential upside and, like Sean said, be comfortable with the two or three points as it's going to come every once in a while. And you just hope you're on the right side for those 30 point games when they eventually happen. Everybody's hoping they're on the right side of week (laughs) four. And part of the uh, decision-making process is not only waivers, but, but the lineup decisions as well. And Caleb, I'm going to throw this to you right away. Can you give our viewers tonight a sleeper that uh, not a lot of FFPC players you think will be starting them, but they should. And then conversely, uh, a player that a lot of people will be starting, hoping he does well, that you don't have a whole lot of hope for in week four. And then, uh, Caleb, after you're done, Sean, I want you to chime in as well. Awesome. Yeah, I have, so I have a couple guys. So for me, I don't want it to sound like a homer pick, as I know there's a bunch of Broncos stuff behind me, but I think Judy is going to finally go off and Russell's oh! going to cook in Vegas. He might not be. I mean, I think he's maybe started in like 40 to 50% of teams, which given where he's drafted, it's probably light for, you know, a fourth or fifth round pick. So for me, I feel super confident that Judy's going to go off this week. So for us, Judy's definitely in the conversation for some start sits on our um, eighth place team. So hopefully we end up being on the right side of that decision. And then I guess maybe a little bit more of a dark guy that I, we don't have any of, but if he was a part of our, you know, cluster of players. We'd probably push him, but I think Gallup's going to go off this week. I think he's going to come in. He's going to take all Noah Brown snaps and he's going to kind of just connect with Cooper Rush. So I know those are two guys, but for me, I think it's Judy and Gallup are kind of my, you should probably start him if you're not thinking about it. And then the letdown, which really hurts me is I'm a massive CPAT stand. I think Patterson is going to have a little bit of a rough week. Um, I think already questionable in the injury report. Oh, too. I didn't even know that too. Yeah. I have not kind of looked at the injury stuff yet as that's kind of my Friday and Saturday morning tasks. But right. yeah. for me, the utilization data has been going down. He's been targeted, I think 5% of targets last week. 
not that CPAC can't go off and have long runs and fall into the end zone. It seems like at some point, some of that positive variance is going to go into negative variance. And as much as I don't want to, as last week I was preaching at the top of the hill for CPAC that he was going to go off and he did, I think it's going to be a massive letdown spot. I don't know if we're going to have the guts to pull CPAC and put him on our bench, but I think come end of the week, it might be a seven or an eight point spot that CPAC's going to put up this week. You could be right uh, on that. And and I have Patterson in, in a lot of spots because I got him. He just kept falling in drafts over yeah. and over again. And and I and I picked him on in several spots. But I think you're right. I think a lot of the points you make about, about Patterson are founded. Um, it's not like Cleveland's run defense is bad. And it sounds like Miles Garrett could get back out there again this week. I know him, I think it was him and Clowney um got listed as questionable today, which is I know it sounds bad, but I think it's a good thing for Cleveland. Um, we shall see uh, as the Falcons are uh, actually home underdogs to the Cleveland Browns. Sean, what about you? Is, is there Are there any players that you look at your rosters or, or just look at the field in general? Like, God, nobody's going to be playing this guy, but I, I think he's in for a big week. And then conversely, everybody's going to be playing this guy and they're going to be let down big time in week four. Uh, I'm a little underprepared, kind of like Caleb said, going into this week. Uh I, I do agree, Judy. I think something's going to pop. I think teams are – everyone and their mother is talking, oh, Russ, Russ and Sutton, that connection's popping, and you know how that goes. Everyone flocks to Sutton, and then Judy has a big week. So I'm all in for that. We are Denver guys. Uh, I Also, I'm just waiting for that week. Denver clicks, and we, we put up a 40 spot. Uh, not saying it's coming this week, but I don't think it's too far away. Um, and, yeah. Caleb is definitely a Patterson guy. So if he's down on him, I'm, I'm down on him too. <laughs> so so I think the takeaway here is while Denver's offense, and this is something I've been talking about on all my shows this week, Denver's offense is scuffling. Um, you guys are of the belief that, that uh, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when Russ starts cooking in Denver and Sutton is blowing up, Albert O is blowing up, Judy's blowing up. Williams and Gordon, like all these guys in this Denver, this Denver offense at some point is going to click. It's just, you know, whether it's the amalgamation of all these guys coming from the outside, you know, think about Wilson and, and Nathaniel Hackett and the coaching staff he put together. It's just a getting used to period Cal right now. And, and, and things are going to start clicking soon. I think Hackett's, I don't know if clown's the right word. I think Hackett's maybe a little bit unprepared, not ready for the spotlight. I okay. think he's at least knowing some of his gaps and he put in, you know, some kind of passing game coordinator, some kind of analytics people that are helping him from a game day perspective. So at least he's situationally aware that he sucks in certain spots. So <laughs> I guess pessimistically optimistic that Russ can continue to cook and he's not dust. And I mean, we have the weapons with, like you said, Jamal, I mean, Gordon, Sutton, Judy, I mean, I'm not the biggest Alberto guy. We have him on a lot of teams, but I just don't know if that's going to manifest this year. But I think if there's a team that's underperforming that can put it on the right path, I think the Broncos are probably candidate number one. So maybe it's a little bit of a homer pick, but I think if there's one team that could trend in the right direction that's been crap, to say the least, I think the Broncos might be candidate number one. One team that has not been crap that is trending in the right direction right now is the eighth place overall FFPC main event team co-owned by Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs, who's been so uh, been so gracious to come on the show uh, this evening on a special Friday edition, which is awesome. I don't think we've ever done this before. Uh, guys, listen, uh, really appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the way, not only with your main event team that's in eighth place, but all your teams this year. Um, you guys have done this before. You've been very successful at it. I wish you nothing but the best going forward. And let's do this again real soon.
No, definitely. Hopefully we can connect later in the year as we kind of keep up this trend. And worst case, we'll see you in Vegas is something we always look forward to. So absolutely. The invite. And yeah, we will catch you around. Thank you, Cal. Sean, yep. thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Sorry I was late. Appreciate it. It's fun every time. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks, guys. That is Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs, ladies and gentlemen, the co-owners of the eighth place team in the FFPC main event heading into week four. I think we learned a lot tonight, and I know I did. That's the whole idea of this show as well. Uh, so hopefully you gleaned a lot of information off that. Now, a couple of things to, to keep in mind. Um, number one, we are not done broadcasting on YouTube tonight. At 10.9 Central, if you want to come back to this channel right now, uh, or then, Farrell Elliott, the commissioner of the KFFSC, and my co-host on the HSFF Hour, will be co-hosting uh, the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour with Greg Link, who is the Week 2 third-place team overall in the FFPC main event. He will be our guest uh, this evening. Uh, we'll go for an hour. We're talking a ton of stuff, getting you set for Week 4, not only with all your waiver stuff that you got to figure out for Sunday morning, um, but all the stuff you got to figure out with your lineups, which I think some of the questions were answered by, by Cal and Sean tonight, but more of the questions will be answered by Greg tonight. Um, the road of his high stakes lowdown will resume. Um, we're going to take this coming Tuesday off, uh, but Thursday, we're still going to do a show next week. It's going to be Thursday at seven, six central before the Broncos and Colts game on, on Thursday night football. And we are going to be talking with Austin Martin, who along with his co-owner, uh, Seth K uh, Kaler are the 15th place team overall in the FFPC. All right. Beg your pardon. In the football guys players championship, we're going to talk to Austin. He owns a ton of teams, plays a ton of the highest of highest stakes varsity the big payback the high society and everything so we'll get his takes on a lot of stuff heading into uh week four as well or heading into week five it will be at that point because we're live on uh on thursday night um don't forget uh tonight 10 9 central hsffo right on this channel and then uh the better sports network download the app in google play and the app store and of course uh you can always watch it on facebook youtube twitter uh, that show goes live at uh, 10, 9 central on Wednesday night. So I'll be live there. Uh, we had a ton of great guests on there so far. Matt Schaub from Draft Sharks, Devin Knotts from Football Guys this past week. We had Thunder Dan Paglia from uh, Rotoballer. Brian Drake uh, from Fantasy Football Hustle has been on before. Uh, so we're going to have another great episode for you coming on Wednesday. But you don't have to wait long for more content as 109 Central HSFF Hour goes live. Remember, the uh, weekly challenge for the FFPC is live. No draft or salary cap. Just choose 10 players or 12 players, depending upon if you want to play in the classic format or the slim format. $35 to enter or $200 to enter 30 team leagues or 150 team leagues. Or you can fork over 200 bucks, play a 10-team league where the winner takes all. And uh, it is a 2023 FFPC main event entry at stake. Uh, you can get your entry paid for in the main event next year and play for a million dollars for free. What's better than that? Not a whole lot, in my opinion. MyFFPC.com slash weekly challenge there. Remember to like, subscribe, share, and get notified in case you missed last uh, night's episode with Frank LaPrade. That is on the FFPC YouTube channel. Had a great time uh, hanging out with him as well. We will see you back here in roughly, mm, I don't know, two hours or so. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, and the High Stakes Loader will be back next week, but I will be back in a couple hours. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. 
It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 10% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.